Welcome to Dishing Up Nutrition, brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness. I have a couple of questions for you this morning. Did you receive your blood sugar numbers at your last clinic visit? And if you did, are you concerned? Are you worried about having either prediabetes or type 2 diabetes? 84 million or one out of three Americans have prediabetes and 30 million people in the United States or one out of four people are diabetic. Wow. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Today, our discussion is all about prediabetes and type 2 diabetes. I am Joanne Rideout, and our co-host, Brittany Vincent, is joining me in this discussion today. We are both registered and licensed dietitians, and every day we teach people what to eat, what not to eat, to prevent diabetes and type 2 diabetes. Good morning. Good morning, Brittany. To prevent future health problems, it is so important to maintain normal glucose or blood sugar numbers. And many of you may be wondering, what are normal blood sugar numbers? Well, prediabetes is defined as having a fasting blood sugar of 100 to 125 or a hemoglobin A1C of 5.7 to 6.4. And an A1C might not be something that you get checked regularly, um, and that is actually a 8 to 12-week measurement of your average blood sugar. Right, and mm -hmm. that's considered a, actually a more reliable number. Yep. So what are your blood sugar or blood glucose numbers? Are they in the normal range of 80 to 100, or are they over 100? If your fasting blood sugar is greater than 126, or your hemoglobin A1c is greater than 6.4%, you are in the diabetes range. And that is type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. And you might be thinking, well, what's the big deal if I have high blood sugar numbers? Well, quite frankly, there are several big deals. Mm -hmm. Number one, diabetes is the leading cause of chronic kidney disease. Number two, people with diabetes are twice as likely to have a stroke or heart disease than people who are not diabetic. Number three, older adults with diabetes are at a higher risk of becoming blind. That's Num scary. It is. <laughs> yeah. Number four, diabetes increases your risk of developing Alzheimer's disease. Mm -hmm. That's a really important connection we do not hear much about. That's right. Number five, the Mayo Clinic reported that if you have diabetes, you have an increased risk of developing depression. Number six, there is even a connection between diabetes and osteoporosis or poor bone health and an increased risk of fractures. So it affects a lot more things than you probably realize. It certainly does. And those high blood sugars affect every part of your body, as you just heard the list. So every body system you have and your brain. Mm -hmm. Diabetes can cause low moods, poor memory weak blood vessels, fragile bones, kidney disease, just to name a few. But truly, the list does go on and on. The bottom line, keeping your blood glucose numbers in the normal range of 80 to 100 is critical 
to maintaining good health and avoiding the potential risks that Brittany just mentioned. And if half the population has either prediabetes or type 2 diabetes, you really need to understand what diabetes is and how to prevent it. Mm-hmm. So you should know also what to eat, but what to avoid. And if you have diabetes or if you are concerned about getting type 2 diabetes, we will also start by talking about what's actually going on in your body if you have type 2 diabetes. That's right. So first of all, diabetes is a disease in which the body cannot get sugar or glucose into your cells for energy. The pancreas makes insulin. So insulin is a hormone that helps deliver glucose to your cells. And we know your body needs a certain amount of glucose for energy, but those high glucose levels, greater than 126, that falls into the diabetes level, type 2 diabetes level, and can cause the health problems that Brittany talked about earlier, the kidney disease, heart disease, depression, Mm -hmm. Alzheimer's, many, many more and as a dietitian, I frequently have clients tell me, my mother has diabetes, my grandmother had diabetes, so they often think it's a genetic problem. And yes, genetics can play a role mm-hmm. in getting diabetes, but the truth is our lifestyle habits actually play the biggest role in whether or not we get type 2 diabetes. The those poor lifestyle habits can lead to insulin resistance, which is the most common cause of type 2 diabetes. So here's a question that we are asked time and time again. What causes insulin resistance? What does it even mean to be insulin resistant? Well, if we look at the sugar consumption in the United States from 200 years ago to our present day, I think you can figure out the answer. So here's a hot, a very eye-opening fact. In the past 200 years, we have gone from eating only two pounds of sugar per person each year to eating 152 pounds of sugar per person each year. Wow. Think about that for a minute. That's amazing. So 200 years ago, people ate two pounds of sugar a year per person, and today it's 152 pounds, which is an increase of about three pounds per week. So I think you'd agree with us that the increase in consumption of sugar in the past 200 years is just absolutely staggering. Mm-hmm. So back to the cause of insulin resistance... As Joanne was mentioning, our pancreas produces insulin to transport the glucose into our cells. However, when we have excess sugar or glucose in our bloodstream, our cell receptors, those insulin receptors, will become blocked or congested, you can think of it as. And when this happens, the ability of our cells to absorb all that sugar or glucose is reduced. As a result, our cells become insulin resistant and the extra glucose remains in our bloodstream and then it's going to get stored as body fat, create inflammation. And during this whole process, our body is making more and more insulin to try to compensate. 
So simply put, we all need to understand that excess sugar or glucose damages our kidneys, our eyes, our hearing, our heart, and our brain. And high blood sugar levels can actually cause brain cells to die. Wow. Lots of risk factors you're talking about there. And on average, people in the United States are eating nearly 42 and a half teaspoons of sugar per person per day. Whereas the American Heart Association recommends women eat only six teaspoons of added sugar per day and nine teaspoons of added sugar daily for men. So that's quite a big difference. We remind our listeners of this quite often because it's important. People are overeating up to 36 and a half teaspoons of sugar each and every day. And where are we getting all that sugar from? Well, we find it in the form of candy bars at the grocery checkout, coffee, lattes, mochas at the coffee shop, um, oversized blueberry muffins. Mm -hmm. There's hidden sugar in the fruit-flavored yogurts and your kids' favorite cereal, not to mention pop, juice. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Any of you heard of the new cereal that has just been released? It is called Hershey's Kisses Cereal. Wow. I know. (laughs) Sounds like sugar in a box, right? (laughs) The sugar, the cereal itself is actually uh, made to resemble a Hershey's Kiss. And I tried to find the information on how much sugar and carbohydrates are in the cereal. I couldn't find it anywhere. But I think the name says it all. I mean, you can imagine how much sugar is in there. But what I did find is the number of carbohydrates in a serving of chocolate checks. So one serving is one cup, and that is 36 grams of carbs, which breaks down to nine teaspoons of sugar. And here's the thing. Not many of you are going to eat just one cup of cereal, right? Right. You're probably eating at least two. Or three. Yep. Bowls are pretty big. They are pretty big. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think it is time for our first break. That's right. You are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition, brought to you by Nutritional Weight and Wellness. If you have prediabetes or type 2 diabetes, we invite you to listen along this morning because we want you, we want to help you understand the seriousness of this health problem. And for those of you that don't have it, how you can be preventing it. Absolutely. Welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. I want to share a recent research study about the connection between taking statin drugs with the increase of diabetes. This research study was published in Diabetes and Metabolism Research and Reviews Journal, May 24th of 2018. They found that statin drug use more than doubles the risk of developing type 2 diabetes. So that's pretty eye-opening. Yeah, it is. People who have been taking statins for two years or longer were at the highest risk. And a well-established complication of statins is an increased risk of type 2 diabetes, but 
Alzheimer's disease mm-hmm. would be a piece of that as well. Yep. And and many more complications, the kidney disease, yes. you know. I hear about a lot of people that are having joint pain when yep. they're having stat or on a statin medication. So there's a lot there of are. negative side effects. So back to our topic. Yeah, of, we were talking about cereal. Yes, we were. So what if your teenager started their day with a bowl of cereal with over 20 teaspoons of sugar? So you may think when we talked about nine teaspoons Mm -hmm. of sugar in the chocolate checks cereal a few minutes ago, you may think, well, 20 teaspoons, they're not going to eat that much. But really, if you think about it, most bowls are probably going to give you, if you fill them, Mm-hmm. And teenagers would. Yep. Three to four cups for most cereal bowls. Yeah. So that would get 20 to 30 or even more teaspoons yeah. of sugar. Um, so I think, I think you have to kind of look at the size. Absolutely. I remember years ago I used to pour a cup before I was doing nutrition classes. I would pour a cup of water into a bowl to see how big it was. Yeah. And found that even the smaller bowls were at least two and a half cups. Oh, wow. So well, and can frankly, be to fill you up and feel satisfied, one right. cup of cereal is not going to do that, right? Especially for for a growing teenager, right? And also with fat-free skim milk on yes. it, they're still not going to get filled yes. up. So biochemically, their pancreas cannot produce enough insulin to push the sugar into the cell. So then the excess amount of sugar stays in his or her bloodstream. Eventually, this can create insulin resistance, inflammation, weight gain, and in time, possibly pre-diabetes and diabetes. A new obesity report was just released, and this report points out that nine states have reached obesity rates of 35% or more. It's a lot. That is a lot. In addition, this report highlights that individuals with lower incomes are more risk. This report calls for a tax on sugar-laden drinks like soda, juice, fancy coffees. I think you get the picture here. And several research studies have linked obesity and type 2 diabetes to high sugar beverages. Right. And especially childhood obesity. It's... There's that huge link with what they're drinking. And it, this, this study also calls, or this report also called for curbing the food industry marketing and their efforts to undermine public health initiatives. So this report recommends keeping the food industry out of dietary guidelines, consider regulating food industry marketing of health, unhealthy products, stop the food industry from preempting state public health laws, and this last one may be the most important one, reduce unhealthy food marketing to children. I go back to what you yeah. were, when you were talking about the um, diet, the sweetened beverages. Yeah. I remember year, a few years ago, we did a radio show and we were kind of naming off 
the coffee mochas Mm -hmm. and the juice drinks and all of those beverages and how many teaspoons were in each. And I just remember kind of calculating in my brain, it's like one teaspoon of sugar per ounce Mm. is kind of what it came to on average as we were doing those comparisons. So I always think that when I look at some of these sweetened drinks, one teaspoon of sugar per ounce, that's a lot of sugar. It's a really good way to look at it. Yeah. And and I, I'm, I'm guessing a lot of our listeners, as I was reading um, what the report recommends, some of you were probably surprised that the food industry is so involved in all of that. Maybe oh, yeah. you didn't even realize that. Yeah. But I do think the marketing is a huge piece because even, you know, myself, you watch a commercial, it's like, oh, wow, that looks really good. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't hungry, but all of a mm-hmm. sudden you're thinking about food. So yeah. the marketing and advertising is really, really, really powerful. And even when I'm in the grocery store with my yeah. four and five-year-old yes. granddaughters. Oh, my. I can imagine. They, <laughs> they're looking at all those pretty colorful packages yeah. that they've seen on TV. So... Um, Diabetes prevention starts actually even before the baby is born. Six to eight percent of pregnant women experience gestational diabetes. So gestational diabetes is most likely to occur after the 20th week of pregnancy. Women who experience gestational diabetes are more 20 times more likely to develop type 2 diabetes later in life. That's a huge number. Yeah, it is. So babies born to mothers with gestational diabetes are at a much greater risk of developing type 2 diabetes as adults. And I was telling Brittany earlier today, that is my story. My mom had gestational diabetes. She developed type 2 diabetes as an adult And I've been on the prevention path to prevent from developing Mm -hmm. type 2 diabetes my entire adult life because I I always gained weight. I always Mm -hmm. knew I was, you know, gained weight easily in the middle. That was always the first Mm -hmm. place it went and, and just knew I had that slow metabolism. Always did. So it's interesting it is that that's interesting. how it starts. And it would be, you know, if you're able to ask your mothers, because mm-hmm. some of you might not even know that your mom had gestational right. diabetes. That's true. Um, asking those questions could possibly help you in mm-hmm. your prevention path. Right. We had a, a special guest a couple months ago on the radio, Judith uh, Finlayson author of You Are What Your Grandparents Ate. And she pointed out that research has found that African Americans are almost twice as likely to develop diabetes as Caucasians. The same research also found that African Americans are more likely to experience greater disability from diabetes-related complications, such as amputations, blindness, kidney failure, stroke, and heart disease. Wow. Those are staggering numbers, aren't they? So how do you go about controlling or preventing diabetes? The recommendation that has always been first and foremost from medical professionals is lose weight by cutting back on food intake 
and they always talk about calories, and increasing physical activity. And as a dietitian with over 30 years of experience, and after working with people wanting to lose weight and prevent diabetes, I believe that recommendation to lose weight by cutting back on your food intake and increasing physical activity actually makes people feel guilty and frustrating, mm-hmm. frustrated when they aren't able to do it. So it's very disheartening when I hear that message time and time again. Yeah. And that advice often comes from the doctor. And as a result, many of them lose hope. Because once a person has insulin resistance, they have a slow metabolism. It makes weight very difficult to lose. Mm-hmm. And Already, many of those people are already eating smaller portions. They have already, they've already tried that. So for people with insulin resistance, it's exasperating to focus on the number on the scale and never see it drop. They become discouraged, and many people just give up. Afterwards, they may binge on their favorite go-to food, like a chocolatey dessert or a large bowl of popcorn and a Coke. So yeah, we see it a lot. We do. And so you have a slow metabolism from insulin resistance, and then all of that dieting, mm-hmm. I mean, it takes a long time to to get your metabolism back right. to working in a healthy way. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it is time for our second break already. You are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. Our topic today is concerned about prediabetes and diabetes. And as always, we have some interesting information to share with you. As you may have gathered while listening to our show today, prediabetes and type 2 diabetes are such serious health conditions. I suggest you make an appointment with one of our nutritional weight and wellness dietitians or nutritionists who will help to get your blood sugar numbers and A1C back to that normal range. And I find that many of my clients with diabetes have really intense cravings and hunger. So they need weekly or bi-weekly support until they have reduced their insulin resistance. And this could take six months. This could take a year. But know that with that support, it can happen. Have you ever tried one of those deprivation diets that make you thinner for a while but looking all haggard and sad? I'm here with Anastasia, who has the reverse going, that radiance of good health. Anastasia, you credit the nutritional counseling you got at Nutritional Weight and Wellness. Yeah, I met with Joanne about three years ago. She definitely helped me lose a good 20 pounds. But in addition to that, I stopped drinking energy drinks. And as a result, I no longer battle with restless leg and I sleep through the night. How else other than your weight have the changes that you made impacted your health? I focus better. I sleep through the night. I can remember people's names. And what about the food you're eating now? I get to eat all the protein, fruits and veggies. I shop at the grocery store like everybody else. And can you eat out with your friends? I do. I might edit my meal a little bit, but I'm still out at the bars and restaurants with all my friends and family. Could Nutritional Weight and Wellness help you like they helped Anastasia? You can check them out at weightandwellness.com or give them a call, 651-699-3438. Welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. You may be wondering, does eating real food help prevent diabetes? I have an evaluation from a client who took our nutritional weight and wellness program a year ago 
from January to April. So you can hear it from someone other than myself. On her evaluation, she said, I had been meaning to take this program, and then I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. What were her results after taking the Nutritional Weight and Wellness Program? I lost one pant size. All of my lab numbers are down significantly. My hemoglobin A1C is in the normal range, and my cholesterol is under 200. That is wonderful. Those are great changes, aren't they? My doctor wanted to know what I did. My blood pressure is 111 over 66 now, and I'm off all of my diabetes meds. My doctor was so impressed and now recommends the Nutritional Weight and Wellness Program. That's a great success story, isn't it? Cool. And and the last part, I want to point that out again. You said she is off of all of her diabetes medications. Yes. And I think that when a lot of people get put on those medications, they just assume or maybe they're told they're going to be on them for the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. And that does not have to be the case right. at all. So that can be really motivating, I think, for a lot of people to be able to get off of those medications. Absolutely. It does. So at Nutritional Weight and Wellness, you know, we, we take a different approach to all of this. We support a different kind of measurement for controlling or preventing diabetes. We encourage our clients to get a blood sugar monitor, glucometer, if you don't already have one, and measure their blood sugar level when they get up in the morning, before they eat, and also after they eat a meal or snack. And by doing this, you know, with different meals and and foods, you're going to see what impact those have on your blood sugar. And when my clients can visually see their blood sugar level going up or down because of what they have chosen to eat, Uh, You know, if they decide they're going to have a Subway sandwich and they see their blood sugar going over 200, that's going to have a huge impact to actually see that data, I think. So then they're finally making that connection between what they're eating and their blood sugar level. And we know to prevent diabetes and lose weight, it is all about maintaining a normal blood sugar level. And that blood sugar, we talk about it a lot in regards to other types of health conditions too, Mm -hmm. you know, in our other shows. So even if you're not concerned about type 2 diabetes, it's still really, really important to maintain a, a healthy blood sugar. Right. I had a new client yesterday that I was working with, and he had a background in science. Mm. And he said, at the end of our meeting, he said, I'm going to consider this a research project. Yes. So then I said, well, if you want to do some research, get a blood sugar glucometer and test your blood sugar before you eat and then one hour after and two hours mm-hmm. after eating certain carbohydrates. Yep. I said, that's a one way to tell what your body tolerates mm-hmm. and what it does not. Mm-hmm. So kind of interesting. It is interesting. And I think if we, if you do think of that as a research project or an experiment on your own body, um, 
people are interested in trying that. Right. And then, again, you have that data, and it allows you to to just eat what's best for your individual body. Mm-hmm. That's good. So if you are sitting down to watch the Super Bowl, what do you bring out to munch on? <laughs> All kinds of things people right. don't want to talk about, right? Exactly. But um, if you bring a bowl of chips out to munch on, we know that a small bag of chips contains 15 chips. That breaks down to, down to four teaspoons of sugar. But who stops at the end of 15 chips if you have a big bowl out mm-hmm. in front of you? So do you stop at 15 or can you? Or are you a person who starts with one chip and cannot stop eating until the whole bowl is gone? What do you think about putting out a vegetable tray with a great homemade dip? Basically, you could eat all of the raw vegetables on the tray and you would have eaten almost no sugar. In addition, that healthy fat, the sour cream there, helps to stabilize your blood sugar because that's the fat component. Yep. The one little change in your Super Bowl snacks could save you 5 to 10 teaspoons of sugar in your body or way more than that. And your blood sugar level would remain normal throughout the entire day. So the fat component, you know, we talk about healthy fat a lot on our shows, but I don't think a lot of people understand the connection of of the impact it has on our blood sugar. Mm-hmm. So having that healthy fat, like Joanne mentioned, the sour cream, um, or if it's full fat cream cheese, butter, nut butter, nuts, olives, that helps to reduce the impact that the carbohydrates have on your blood sugar. So that's why we always talk about that protein, fat, carb combination. That's right. And many human studies indicate a low-carb diet can improve some of the markers of diabetes. And a moderate low-carb diet, such as the weight and wellness plan, consists of about 100 grams of carbohydrates a day, about 100 grams of protein a day, and six to seven tablespoons of beneficial fat. When you eliminate the processed carbs and eat vegetable carbs along with the 12 to 14 ounces of protein, 6 to 7 tablespoons of that healthy fat, you're going to be reducing your risk of developing type 2 diabetes. And then the beautiful thing is your cravings almost always will go away. Right. For most people, their cravings just go away and they feel satisfied. Right. And we hear that all the time yes. when we're teaching classes. Yeah. You know, by week two or week three mm-hmm. of our class series, they're already saying, my cravings are almost yeah. gone. Yeah. It happens you know? quickly. Yeah. It does. And then the food tastes delicious. It does. You know, it's not like um, the the diet food you might be used to <laughs> of eating a small little frozen meal or a little bar or whatnot. Or a hundred calorie pack. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's much better than that. So I think more and more people are starting to realize in order to prevent diabetes, they need to reduce processed carbs and sugar. And then those elevated blood sugar 
leads to inflammation in the bloodstream. So that that inflammation in the bloodstream, actually, um, that's things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and all of a lot of the inflammation we talk about, um, joint pain. So in reality, sugar is becoming toxic if the cells can't use it. Mm-hmm. So what is causing elevated blood sugar? Generally, processed carbs and sugar, and quite often those sugars come from the beverages that we're yes. drinking, those sugary beverages. And I think, too, with the beverages, we're even less aware of what we're consuming, mm-hmm. you know, because it's not necessarily filling us up. It's very mindless. Um, and, and those beverages are habitual for a lot of people. They are. So I would I would really assess what you what kind of fluids you're taking in on a daily basis and you know if you're drinking pop or soda mm-hmm. what do you like about that what is it about that right you know reflecting on that might help you to find an alternative right and i remember when i quit drinking diet soda or even regular soda mm-hmm. you know i really didn't do that much but I remember thinking to myself, this is not even quenching my thirst. Yeah. And I would just go find water. So it was a really easy transition. I know it can be hard for yeah. some people. Um, but it, when you think about, is is it quenching my thirst? And it yeah. really isn't. No, it's no. not. No. And then a lot of people, even those that were drinking multiple cans a day, once they you know try it months later... They say, oh, that was gross. That didn't even taste good. Mm -hmm. That's right. So I think it's time for our last break. It is. You are listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. And throughout today's show, we told you what not to eat for diabetes prevention. And now we're going to tell you what to eat. So here's an idea for breakfast. You could have two scrambled eggs, spinach, um, sliced up red peppers, cherry tomatoes, cook that in butter, a slice of 100% rye bread, or you could have part of a sweet potato, put butter or peanut butter on that rye bread. And rye bread specifically, we talk about that because it contains a nutrient that helps to balance your blood sugar, actually. So that breakfast I just listed is a fabulous balanced breakfast so that you should see your blood sugar in that normal range. And a satisfying snack that you could enjoy is half a cup of full-fat cottage cheese, a few sliced strawberries, and some sliced almonds on top. Sounds good. Yeah, very satisfying. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to Dishing Up Nutrition. Eating a nourishing bowl of soup is a real favorite of mine for lunch, especially this time of year. I encourage you to make our hamburger soup recipe with grass-fed ground beef, a variety of vegetables, and butter for your healthy fat. So instead of those saltine crackers you used to eat with soup, try having some celery with some almond butter or peanut butter. 
So one and a half to two cups of this soup will keep your blood sugar balanced and warm you up on a cold winter's day. That truly is one of my favorite recipes. It is very the, good. It is. The hamburger soup recipe is on our website at weightandwellness.com. But I was thinking about, as as I talked about hamburger soup, I have made it quite a few times recently, but a couple other favorite soups that I have are our chili recipe. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorites. And another one is the chicken and wild rice soup recipe. All three of those recipes I really enjoy. And I, in order to not get too sick of one of them, yeah. I rotate them. So I make, I usually make a batch of soup every weekend so that whatever soup I'm making, I have that soup for lunch every day during the week. And it keeps me on track with my food. Um, so it always keeps me prepared and on top of this process. So that That's can be really helpful. That's a wonderful habit to develop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they don't take that long to make. They don't. At all. And you throw the ingredients in the crock pot or the mm-hmm. instant pot and then you mm-hmm. walk away. So that's pretty simple. Yeah. Great ideas. And, you know, before the before the break, we were talking about, you know, following a low, low to moderate carb diet um, helps to maintain your, your blood sugar and prevent diabetes. And so we said 100 grams of carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. So I just want to point out, not all carbs are created equal, right? Right. So if you're having 100 grams of carbohydrates a day, but it's coming from cereal and bread and chips, that's very different and has a very different impact on your blood sugar than if you're eating 100 grams from sweet potatoes and squash and berries and lots of vegetables. Um, so trying to remember that. And we're not encouraging you to to necessarily be counting everything. We want you to be focusing on that quality of food is is what's most important. Right. And then also pairing it with yes. the protein. Yep. Um, having at least, you know, a couple grams of protein couple ounces of protein if you're having a snack Mm -hmm. and three to four ounces if you're having a meal Mm -hmm. along with some good healthy fat like some dip for those vegetables or peanut butter or almond butter Mm -hmm. with the celery Mm -hmm. those are good examples yeah and you know i'm sure a lot of you listeners know that a piece of coconut cream pie has sugar in it That's no surprise, but most people don't eat pie every single day or even every week. But what about French fries? Those are a a weakness of mine. 14 French fries break down to seven teaspoons of sugar. Wow. And 14 French fries is really not that much. I mean, let's be honest. If I'm going to eat French fries, it's not going to be 14. Mm -hmm. It'll be more than that. Sure. Right. And what else is in those French fries? Those refined icky oils mm-hmm. in there. That's and, right. And a lot of French fries have other ingredients, chemicals. They do. I remember one show where we actually looked at the ingredients mm-hmm. of French fries and there were like 19 ingredients yeah. or something like that. Yeah. I don't remember the exact number, but it was an amazing number of ingredients that they had in the flavorings and 
you know, starches to coat and, you know, make them brown and all of that. It's a lot. Well, I know, you know, back in the day, I, if I had fast food and I would find a French fry underneath my seat weeks later, it was not moldy. No. So that just goes to show there's there's more <laughs> than just the potatoes, the oil, and the salt in a lot of those French fries, too. Exactly. So you're getting all, all the carbs, but you're getting other undesirable ingredients as well. And then, you know, a lot of people, if they're going to have French fries, they're probably maybe going to have a Coke with that, mm-hmm. which is another 18 teaspoons of sugar. Wow. What about pizza? We're talking about all my favorites or old (laughs) favorites. So a regular crust pizza averages 30 grams of carbs per slice. And again, you're not likely only going to have one slice of pizza. So three slices is 90 grams of carbs or over 22 teaspoons of sugar. If you have Mountain Dew with your pizza, you've just eaten 32 teaspoons of sugar. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. So that's only one meal. Exactly. Only one meal. And we were talking about 40 for a day. Yeah. Some people probably go a lot higher than that. Yes, for sure. But, you know, if you are like me and enjoy those flavors of pizza, there's other ways to to get that. So I've made recently a few times a sheet pan pizza meal. So chicken was the base. I bought some Applegate pepperoni, some olives. I cut up a bunch of peppers and onions, um, cauliflower, and then you bake it and you can top it with cheese if, Mm if you're not dairy sensitive. And then on the side, you have your pizza sauce. That sounds really good. Yeah, it is really good. I've seen a recipe like that recently. Mm -hmm. And very easy. Yeah. Which is even better. Or um, we have a recipe in our cookbook that's like a pizza. Mm -hmm. So the meat is the crust. And basically what you do is you get your ground beef or ground turkey ground pork and you spread that in like a baking dish you bake it part way drain the grease and then you put your pizza toppings on so again you're getting all those yummy flavors right without all those carbs and that's a really good option it is and then you can just pile it with the sauce and the vegetables and it's a great pizza option it is that's Mm -hmm. good and not hard that one is not difficult either no So if you have poor blood sugar control, it does increase your risk for Alzheimer's. We talked about those chronic diseases earlier. In fact, chronic high blood sugar actually shrink the cells in the hippocampus in your brain. Wow. That's amazing. So, you know, kind of before we were talking about high high sugar, increasing inflammation, but here it's actually shrinking those cells. In fact, Alzheimer's disease is often called type 3 diabetes. Yes, it is. And as dietitians and nutritionists, we recognize that for some of us, 
We need to practice a much more structured lifestyle that limits the number of carbs we eat. And I know I'm one of those people. I gain weight very easily. Mm -hmm. I very much have to be very careful about how many carbs I'm taking in. Yeah. And that may be hard for some of us to swallow, but it is our reality. And a question I ask my clients, are you willing to limit your carb consumption to about 100 grams a day to avoid type 2 diabetes? Or do you want to risk losing a toe or your memory? So that is a choice you do have control over. And I think putting it that way is a great way to pose the question because a lot of people are going to say, well, yeah, I'm willing to do that for my, for my health. Right. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. we have to make hard choices mm-hmm. if we're making them for our health to avoid diabetes mm-hmm. or, or even just to lose weight. I mean, mm-hmm. you do have to put some limits on those carbs yes. for sure. So before we were talking about, you know, what's the big deal if my blood sugar numbers are a little high. Yeah. And at the beginning of the show, I just kind of want to recap this a little bit. Brittany talked about diabetes being the leading cause of chronic kidney disease. It reminds me that when I remember growing up, I knew a few people that were diabetic. And I would watch people, very often watch people eat sugar pretty intentionally, Mm -hmm. and then just increase the amount of insulin they were going to take in. And... Boy, now knowing more about this, it really blows my mind that people are making that choice. People with diabetes are twice as likely to have stroke or heart heart disease than people who are not diabetic. We talked about blindness Mm -hmm. and increasing risk of depression, osteoporosis. There's a a long list of inflammation results from that high blood sugar. Yeah. So I encourage you to change your nutrition and lifestyle habits now to support your blood sugar. Call 651-699-3438 to make an appointment with a dietitian or nutritionist. Don't wait till it's too late. Good advice. And our goal at Nutritional Weight and Wellness is always to help each and every person experience better health through eating real food. It's simple yet very powerful message. Eating real food is truly life-changing. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful day. Thanks for listening to Dishing Up Nutrition. If you enjoy this podcast, please share your favorite episodes with a friend or leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. The content and opinions expressed are those of the hosts or presenters. They are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Product statements have not been evaluated by the FDA.